Wonderful worship tonight. Thank you all. Thank you so much. So inspiring. Uh, as we get into Exodus chapter 9 tonight, I thought I may ask this because I saw some of you were trying to like write down the stuff that I was sharing before worship. Would you like me to repeat that, some of you? Okay. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the purposes of God tonight, okay? And I want to remind all of us and let this sink in, okay? Because it is pretty amazing. Before God ever created us, he had a purpose in mind as he was designing us. God also had a purpose in saving us, different from creating us. God has a purpose or purposes in mind when he calls us to certain things. And God will have a purpose when he glorifies us for all of eternity. See, even in eternity, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be up there living purposelessly. We're going to have purposes to live even throughout eternity. I know, like, right? How do we know we're not living with purpose? I gave you five things. I'll give them, share them again. When we lack direction, you know, that aimlessness, when we're lacking joy, when we're lacking fulfillment, when we're feeling stuck, and when we're working just to not work, meaning that we're working just to get to the weekend or we're working just to retirement or we're working just for the vacation that's coming. There, there is no real joy or fulfillment any other time in what we are doing. How do we find our purpose? Again, four things I will give you tonight. We find our purpose when we worship God. We find our purpose in the word of God. We find our purpose through prayer. And we find our purpose as we are faithful to the house of God. The worship of God, the word of God, prayer, and the house of God. Why am I concentrating so much tonight on purpose? Well, I know I'm using a very old illustration for some of us, but much of what God is doing in these chapters we're looking at here until just another week or two is a lot of repetition. And God is doing that for a reason. It's like the old typewriter. That's why I said that's an old illustration. I remember playing on typewriters when I was a kid. I was fascinated by typewriters. I had a friend of mine, I know this is going to sound strange, but I had a friend of mine as a child. She was a retired president of a college. So she was like in her late 70s at the time, and I was probably seven or eight years old, and we were buddies. And she had this really old like typewriter, like one of the earliest ones from the 1900s and stuff. And I'd just sit there, and I'd just get the paper, blank paper, and I would just sit there and, you know, bang on it. And I remember learning, obviously, very early on, even as a child, it's like the more I bang on that one letter, the darker it gets. <laughs> you know, if I only bang on it once or twice, even with a good ribbon, it, it's, you know, visible and whatever. But man, if I can just keep hitting that key and that key just keeps striking that same place, it gets really, really bold. 
That's why God repeats things. He, he wants to like engrave them in our hearts and minds. And so we're going to go over many of the things tonight that we've already went over the last couple of weeks because God wants us to get it. And he doesn't waste his words. He, he wants to repeat things to us so that we can continue to have that sort of, that thing strike our hearts to, to be implanted, if you will, even going back to Sunday's message. But I want to begin tonight looking at three things in this chapter that are sort of new and then go back to some of the repetition that God has. So I want you to begin tonight with me in Exodus chapter 9, but I want to go over to verse 13. Pharaoh has hardened his heart again after these plagues, and so the Lord says to Moses, get up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, tell him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, release my people so they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues upon your very self and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there's no one like me in all the earth. We sung about that tonight. No one like our God, right? No one who compares to him. He is holy. He is holy other. But now notice verse 15 and 16. God says to Pharaoh through Moses, for by now... I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with plague and you would have been destroyed from the earth. In other words, God's saying, Pharaoh, I could have dropped you dead at the very beginning of all this. Very first plague, boom, you're gone. Move out of the way and here I go. But I didn't. Why am I allowing you to continue to sort of contend with me? Why am I allowing you to do this and continue to hold my people? Why? Verse 16. But for this purpose, I have caused you to stand, to show you my strength, and so that my name may be declared in all the earth. The phrase that God uses there that my name may be declared in all the earth speaks about God leaving his mark, just like a typewriter. The more you harden your heart and don't let my people go, the more wonders and signs I can do so that I can indelibly make a mark upon Egypt, upon your people, upon my people of who I am. That I am a God that not only can bring plague because I have all the, the hosts of the universe at my disposal. I'm a God that can make a distinction between my people and, and your people, Pharaoh. And I can protect and, and keep my people from the plague. I can stop the plague at any time because I'm the one that's sovereign and in total control. In all of it, God is saying, I had a purpose. I have a purpose for you, Pharaoh. Even in your rebellion, even in your evil, even in your wickedness. And we need to hear that today. Folks, everything that God allows, he still gets the glory for it. If, if you and I embrace God and follow God and, and, and bring on, then he is glorified through us. But he will be glorified even in those who reject him. 
Even in those who say no to him, like Pharaoh, he is still glorified in it all, you see. Because God has a purpose for every life and everything, whether they accept him or not. Now, obviously, that's one of the reasons why God has allowed the devil to exist and demons to exist, and we'll talk more about that on Sunday. But there is no creation of God in the universe that does not have some purpose of God behind it. In fact, keep your finger in Exodus 9. We'll be coming back there, and I want to take you to the New Testament. I think this will bring this alive even to us today, and go over to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Paul was so impacted by this truth that Moses wrote down about God and about Pharaoh that he repeats it in the book of Romans. I'm going to begin in verse 14 of Romans, chapter 9. What shall we say then, Paul says? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human desire or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may demonstrate my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. For centuries, the story of God delivering his people from Egypt has been imprinted upon history. And God did so many amazing things that the land of Egypt will forever be marked by that time in history and by what God has done. God says, you can harden your heart but I'm going to use the hardness of your heart and your actions to actually bring me glory. I have a purpose for you. Now, on a more positive note, go back just one chapter to Romans chapter 8. This is a verse we know very well, and many of us quote it at times, but I just want to remind us of it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, but don't miss that last phrase, who are called according to his purpose. His purpose, not our purpose. His purpose. And, and the rub and the struggle we have even as God's people, even with this verse, is the fact that God is saying, what you're dealing with in the present is not good. I get that. God understands that. And he says, I'm not telling you to call what's not good, good. I'm telling you, though, that in the distant, in the future, at some point, I'm going to take what's happened to you now, and in time, I'm going to be able to work all that out to glorify me and, and to benefit and bless you and others. But it's going to take time. It's not going to be immediate, which is why he uses the words work out, you see. So that's, again, where our faith has to be expressed. Because 
in the here and now, we're going through a really maybe difficult time or there's time that, that's being pressed in on us that is very challenging. And yet we know, the Bible says, but God can take this very bad circumstance that he's allowed to come into my life and that sometime in the future, he's going to work it out according to his purpose. And then in the very next verse, he tells us ultimately what that purpose is. Verse 29. Because those he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose. That's the predestined purpose. God is not predestining persons. He's predestining a purpose. And his purpose for every one of us is that we might become more like Jesus Christ. So in the good things, God is trying to shape us to be more like Jesus. In the bad things that happen to us, he's using all of that to shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate purpose of God for each of us. Now, he has specific purposes and seasonal purposes and all of that, but that one sort of is the, it encompasses it all. And then one more. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul says to Timothy, He, God, is the one who saved us with a purpose and called us with a holy calling and purpose, not based on our works, but on his what? His own purpose and grace, which we sung about tonight, because it's not that we deserve it or could earn it. And then here's another thing that blows me away. Granted to us in Christ Jesus, when? Before time began. Before God laid the foundation of the world, God saw you and me. And God said, sometime in the future, in my perfect timing, I'm going to bring forth Jeff. And I'm creating Jeff with a purpose. I'm saving Jeff with a purpose in mind. I'm calling Jeff with a purpose in mind. And one day I'm going to glorify Jeff with a purpose in mind. And God does the same thing with each of you. Every last one of you, and those of you who are watching tonight or will watch at some point in the future, he calls us according to his purpose. And that's why God wants us to get in touch with him so that we can begin to grasp what the purposes are besides being conformed to the image of his son that he has for us throughout our earthly life so that we don't live directionless or aimless, if you will. And know this, God says, if you reject my will, I'll still be glorified through you, just like I was Pharaoh. I will be glorified in it all. 
That's why Paul can even make a statement like he says, whether you even eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, because God even has a purpose in the mundane routine things that we do, like picking up a cup of water and drinking it or taking a fork and sticking it into a piece of meat and chewing it and swallowing it. That is to the glory of God. Purpose in everything, you see. So when you come back then to Exodus chapter 9, God is saying to Pharaoh, I had a purpose for you being Pharaoh. And, and I have a purpose that's being carried out by you being stubborn and obstinate and not giving in to my demands through Moses. You're just allowing me to continue to show what kind of God I am and that you as Pharaoh are not God because remember, Pharaoh was considered a God. Pharaoh thought he was a God. The Egyptians worshiped many gods and God is basically saying, Egyptians, there is no other God but me and there is no one like me in all the earth. I am wholly other. You can't bring about these things, at least to duplicate them to the degree that I do. You can't stop them like I can. You can't differentiate or dis make distinctions like I can. I'm the only one that can do that. And I'm being merciful to, to give you an opportunity to turn and to take that heart of yours that you are hardening and to turn to me. And we, we know, as we're going to see that many of the Egyptians did come, I believe, to believe in Jehovah. Some of them, I think, even to a greater degree than the Israelite. So that's one of the things I wanted to share. Then if you go down to, back to chapter 9 of Exodus, let's continue reading verse 17. He says to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people by not releasing them. You're not humbling yourself. And I'm going to cause very severe hail to rain down about this time tomorrow, such hail as has never occurred in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. That's quite a statement because God knows every time there's been hail in Egypt, right? So now send instructions to gather your livestock and all your possessions in the fields to a safe place. God is giving them opportunity to what? Respond to what he's saying. Every person or animal caught in the field and not brought into the house, the hail will come down on them and they will die. No exceptions, right? Now, don't miss verses 20 and 21 because this even leads us into Sunday and Sunday's message. Those of Pharaoh's servants who feared the word of the Lord, don't miss that. God has been magnifying himself to the point where Many of Pharaoh's servants have come to have reverence and respect for the word of Jehovah. And notice what they did. They moved to what they had heard. They hurried to bring their servants and livestock into the houses. But those who did not take the word of the Lord seriously in the Hebrew literally had no room in their heart for the word of God, left their servants and their cattle in, their, in the field, and of course we know what happened. They all died. Two different ways of responding. Because one of the things that we're going to learn Sunday is 
How you and I react or respond to God and his word is many times a matter of life and death, just like it was here. Those who just said, ah, that God of the Hebrews, he, I can disregard him. I, I can just slough it off. They die or their cattle die or whatever because they didn't take it seriously. They had no room in their heart for the word of God. Many did. And doesn't that remind you later on then when God instituted Passover and said, if you will follow my instructions and you will slay that animal and you will put the blood over the doorpost and the lentil of that door, I will pass over. But if you choose to disregard my instructions, the death angel will visit you and your firstborn will die. God is saying the same thing today, only in a different way. He's saying, kiss my son, accept my son, believe in my son, hear my son, trust in him for your salvation, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But it's your choice. You can choose to slough me off and disregard my word and choose to try to save yourself or try to come up with some other way of salvation, or you can enter into the ark of safety, Jesus Christ, and be saved. All through the Bible doesn't this take place. Again, why did I use the ark? Because that reminds us of Noah. Noah builds the ark. God says, if you enter my ark, you'll be saved from the judgment to come. But if you just think that that's just a bunch of hot air that I'm blowing, and you don't want to enter that ark, then you will perish. Over and over and over again, God sent out his revelation and all hinged on how were we as human beings going to respond or react? Were we going to take it seriously? Was there going to be room in our heart? Are we going to move to what we hear from God? Are we going to respond? Are we just going to slough it off and say, ah, no big deal? And you see that throughout the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And you see it right here in the pages of scripture. Even some of Pharaoh's servants came to have reverence and respect for Jehovah and for what Jehovah was saying through Moses. And they moved to what they heard. Well, we know that this isn't necessarily new, but I, I want to bring up this aspect of Pharaoh you know how Pharaoh's been saying, oh, you know, maybe I'll let you go. And then, you know, Moses prays for the plague to end and then Pharaoh hardens his heart again and, you know, goes back. So I want to pick it up actually in verse 33 of chapter 9 of Exodus. Moses left Pharaoh after this last great plague of hail, right? And he went out of the city, spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain stopped pouring on the earth. Because Pharaoh had said before, I've sinned, verse 27, the Lord is righteous. I and my people are guilty. Pray to the Lord for me that the hail and all of that will stop, right? So Pharaoh said all the right things, right? When Pharaoh saw, verse 34, that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again. Both he and his servants hardened their hearts 
So Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he did not release the Israelites just as the Lord predicted through Moses. A couple things that I want to bring up because they're applicable to you and I at times in our life and obviously to others around us. Two things here. First of all, you see a man who is saying things out of his mouth, but he's never following through with what he says. He is continually reneging on his promises, right? And he's continually going back, no matter what he says out of his mouth, he's got this predictable cycle of behavior that he says, oh, you know, I'm wrong and I've sinned and all this, and yet he just keeps going back cycle after cycle. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of, say, I'll use this as an example, an abuser. Someone who abuses people. And, you know, after they abuse, they can feel bad. Oh, I, I feel so bad. I shouldn't have hurt you. I shouldn't have abused you that way. I'll change. I'm, I'm going I'm to, this will be the last time this ever happens. Reneging on the promise. They don't. Cycle of behavior. They just keep abusing. How about the addict? The person who's addicted to something who has this predictable cycle of behavior that they, you can't trust them, that, that what they say, they constantly renege on their promises and you cannot count on them. And then they've got this predictable cycle of behavior that no matter what they're saying, they just go back to the same old things. Same old things. Same old cycle of behavior. Why is that? What... What's wrong? And, and how can we break that cycle of behavior? How could Pharaoh have broken that cycle of behavior? Well, it doesn't happen through words. The cycle of behavior in all of our lives, if something's got a grip on us, can only happen when we allow God to transplant our heart and literally do spiritual surgery on our heart and give us a new heart. And Pharaoh never had that. He never got a heart transplant, if you will. He, like many others, was trying to reform himself through, I'm going to try better and I'm going to try real hard and all of that. that. That either works partially or works for a time, but that's why God says, as human beings, you can't, Give yourself a new heart. That has to come from me. And that is not reformation, that's transformation. That's where you humble yourself before me and you, in a sense, give me your heart and I change your heart. I give you a new heart. That's the only way that that cycle of behavior can change in any way and we stop, in a sense, reneging on our promises, and, and we can break that cycle is when we allow God to get a hold of our heart. Otherwise, we'll just keep repeating the cycle over and over and over again. It, let me use this as an illustration. It'd be like taking a car and trying to put all these changes on the car except changing the engine out, putting a new chassis on the car, putting new tires on the car, giving the car a new paint job, and yet it's got the same engine. And the reason I'm comparing the engine to the heart is because 
that's our engine. That, that's how everything runs with us. It runs through our heart. That's why the Bible emphasizes the heart so much and says it's got to be a matter of the heart. That's why, you know, Nicole has taught us worship has to come from the heart. Our discipleship, our following Christ, I've sh- said and encouraged all of it. It's got to come from the heart. Our service for God, it's got to come from the It all has to flow from our heart. Our heart is the wellspring. And, and you can't fix up a car, expect it to run any different no matter what you do to all these other things if it still has the same engine. No, you got to take the engine out and put a new engine in. And then it runs differently. It runs differently. Pharaoh never got a new heart. And so that's why this cycle of behavior just kept repeating itself. And I say that because that's where we are many times. We go back to the same behaviors over and over again because we've never really allowed God to change our heart. We're trying to change our habits. We're we're trying to do all these things in our life to try to, you know, fix things with tinkering this and tinkering that. And God says, just, just, if you give me your heart, that'll start solving it all. Let's start there. Let's start there. All right. With that said, for the next few minutes, let's go back and share some things that we've seen before. Back to verse 1. The Lord is speaking to Moses, clearly communicating what he wants Moses to do, giving Moses leadership and direction through his word and through his voice. Notice you see that phrase again in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, you see that phrase again in verse 13 at the beginning, and you see that phrase at the beginning of verse 22. I just want to point that out because, again, it's so important for us that we are continually dialed into the voice of God and that we are hearing the direction of God that God's giving us above all other voices. We live in a world where we are bombarded with so many voices. And we've got to learn to tune those out and to tune in the voice of God so that we hear him above all other voices. He says, go to Pharaoh, tell him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, release my people that they may serve me. Again, God wants his people to be set free They are his people. They're not Pharaoh's. And so he wants them to be set free so that they may worship him through service. We talked about that. But if you refuse to release them and continue holding them, then my hand will come down upon you and I will bring another plague. Again, I've talked to you about the fact that this is really a battle of the wills between God and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's going to lose the battle. But that's like us many times, you know. Is it going to be God's will or is it going to be our will? You know, whose will is, is going to win the battle of the wills? And we want God's hand upon us, but not in this kind of way. We want God's hand upon us in a, in a way of protection and provision and, and, and peace and all of that. But God's hand can come upon people in a very negative way as well, you see. And then verse 4, the Lord will distinguish between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. He can make a distinction. We talked about the parables of the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares, how God says even to his own people, don't try to separate people now. That's not your job. You don't have the wherewithal to be able to do it because you can't see people's hearts. You just got to let the wheat and tares grow together. And then at the judgment, the final judgment, 
I'll separate the sheep and the goats. I'll separate the wheat and the tares. God can make the distinctions when we cannot. The Lord, verse 5, set an appointed time because he is reminding all of us that the events in Moses' day and the events even in our day are on God's timetable, not on ours. That's important to remember as well. And then at the end of verse 7, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard, immovable, stubborn, insensitive, obstinate. Hard hearts do not listen. Hard hearts do not move. God wants us to make sure that we always have a sensitive heart. Notice early on in the story that the magicians of Egypt could somehow duplicate a, a few of the first few uh, of the plagues or whatever, but then they got to the point where they could no longer duplicate. And now if you go down to verse 11, notice not only could they not duplicate, they can't even stand before Moses because now they have been afflicted by this other plague that, uh, that God brought after the livestock was, was uh, plagued. Now it's these boils. <clears throat> And the boils are all over them. And notice it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. We've talked about that. It simply means that he is confirming Pharaoh and what Pharaoh's heart is already doing. He's basically releasing his restraint on Pharaoh's heart so that if Pharaoh wants to desire to be stubborn and not humble himself and continue to be proud, then God's gonna let him do it. Why? Because God has a purpose. In your stubbornness, in your unwillingness to let my people go, I will be magnified. I will be magnified. And so that's exactly what happened. I want us to be encouraged by that. You know, we, we may look around at things in the world and things in our country and, you know, why is God allowing this and why is God allowing that? Listen, God's going to be glorified in it all. Good and bad. God's going to be glorified in it all. Not just in some of it, in all of it, just like he was in Egypt. Verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Station yourself here. Take your stand. Be firm. Where is it that God wants us to stand right now? Where does, in what way does God want us to take a stand right now? And then I love this, verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on your very self. Literally in the Hebrew, it says upon your very heart heart. God is saying, I'm going to send this plague right into your heart because that's what needs to change. And God is even being merciful and again, allowing Pharaoh to stand and to stay in power and to even contend with him. As God says in verse 15, we already looked at it, so I'm not going to necessarily go back and, and repeat it, but God's basically saying, Pharaoh, I could, have, I could have wiped you out at the very beginning and pushed you to the side. I didn't do that. Even in the fact that I'm allowing you to do this with me, that's my mercy. I wouldn't have to do that, you see. So God, in a sense, is magnifying himself even in that. Um, a couple other things here. If you go over to verse 26, we also see the distinction again. When he talks about the plague of hail coming, notice this. It says, only in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites live, was there no hail. And you know what? Not that God isn't doing something supernatural. He is, and he's in ultimate control. But, you know, I even see that. I, I never saw that to the degree when I lived in the East Coast that I do out here in the Phoenix area. 
And you all know, I think, where I'm going with this. You literally have a part of the valley that's being a downpour. And then you go a couple blocks over and there's nothing. It's like you see these shafts of rain and stuff and they literally just come and hover over one little part and they dump there and then it's dry over here. Now, obviously, God's in control of all that. So you can see why here's all this hail coming down on this side of Egypt and on this side where the Israelites are, there's none. God is the one who's doing all that, though, you see. And why is he doing all that? Notice verse 29. Moses said to him, when I leave the city, speaking to Pharaoh, I will spread my hands of the Lord, the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, again, so that you may know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. That's why the cycle of behavior continued. That's why he always was reneging on his promises, because his heart had still not been humbled and changed before the Lord. Notice the three purpose statements in chapter 9. Verse 14, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Verse 16, so that my name may be declared in all the earth. And verse 29, so that you may know that the earth belongs to the Lord. Those same purposes God is revealing today. God wants us and everyone in the, on the earth to know him, to become more thoroughly acquainted with him every step of our life, in all circumstances of life, you see. Even in creation, God says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. God is in it all and God has a purpose for it all and God has a purpose for everything that he brings into our life or allows into our life be encouraged by that Th these things aren't happening to you you know haphazardly or by coincidence no God is directing everything according to his purpose now God gives us a free choice just like he gave Pharaoh a free choice and we can choose to partner with him and join him and bring glory to him in that way. Or we can choose like Pharaoh to resist him and reject him and we'll bring glory to him that way too. Either way, God will be magnified. God will be glorified. Father, we thank you tonight for reminding us, God, of your truth and your purposes. And God, how you want us to not live purposelessly but with purpose every day, every week, every month, every year that we are on this earth. Help us, Lord, through our worship, your word, through prayer, and through being faithful to the house of God, Lord, where we can begin to grasp your purposes in each and every season and stage of our life. So that, Lord, we can be filled with fulfillment and joy and satisfaction so that we're not always living for what's next, but we're in the moment and we're seizing the moment and making the most out of every moment and every day. Because God, you have a purpose in it and you will be glorified. May we live in such a way that we bring glory to you in a positive way, not through rejecting you or through being stubborn and obstinate and resistant Lord, to you and to what you have for us. God, would you go with us tonight and take us all home safely, especially in 
the weather we are experiencing. And Lord, I, I just pray, I am so burdened for this message that you've laid on my heart for Sunday. I, I pray for all of us, God, that we would, in these next few days, Lord, before Sunday arrives, that we would prepare our hearts to come to the house of the Lord. And Lord, have our hearts just laid before you and let you do what you want to do in our hearts, Lord, on Sunday, just as you do every day, God. May we always, Lord, have a heart that is tender towards you, that allows you to do, Lord, what you want to do upon our heart. Whatever it is you want to engrave, Lord, upon our heart, may we allow you to do it. As your word goes forth, as we said Sunday, may we have soil in our heart, Lord, that allows your word to penetrate and go deep and bring forth fruit. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.